It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. With Jason and friends. It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, August 21st, and you're listening to episode 586. As always, I am your host, Jason. Here today, joined by fellow game designer, J.C. Woolslogger, who I met at Gen Con recently. Hey. Hi. I almost waved uh, to the camera as <laughs> if people could see that. This is my first podcast, so I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. I would not be judged by your mic setup. I would not have guessed this is your first podcast. But... I like to make an impression, and I've had this mic with the intention of doing podcasts for ages, and... I've never done one, so I've just sounded really good on Zoom calls. Nice, nice, nice. And looking fancy, too, with the microphone there. I also have a fancy mic, but it's hidden, so like it's it's on a thing down here, so you can't actually see it. Uh, it's like bolted underneath you're, my you're more You're more modest than I am. I'm like, you need to see all my bits and gizmos. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, fancy microphone setups aside, uh, we met at Gen Con. Uh, briefly, we just played, uh, two games together. Uh, yeah, both prototypes. Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote a blog about it and that's how we started chatting afterwards. Uh, as you were harassing me for the name of my game and some (laughs) pictures that you already had of my game. Oh God. Uh, You were like, Hey, can you send me some pictures of this game? And I was like, Oh yeah, let me see what I can do. And then I was like, I, I I can't get the game set up right now. I'm sorry. And you're like, yeah, I already have a picture. I already have have a picture. Yeah, that was that was a hard one to send. That's that's how I knew we could be pals, because that sounds like something I would send. Like, hey, I really need help with this thing. And then the person forwards me the email where they already sent it to me or I realized that I already have it. Yeah, and you're just like, like you I, I didn't to me. And I'm like, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I didn't need help with anything. I just needed to ask for help and then I would have I'll solve it myself. I just have to. It's like, you know, flipping a USB, like plugging it in the first time and like flipping it over and then having to flip it over a third time. I'm like the human equivalent of that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I I think sometimes that uh, is what we need to flip over the USB. So I saw this really cool, like, uh, like it was a diagram of how to do things. And it was all this random stuff. But the USB was attempt to plug it in, flip it over, plug it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it doesn't matter how you try. It's a 50-50 shot, but it happens 100% of the wrong. time. Yeah, 100% yeah. wrong every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, so how was your Gen Con? Uh, oh. Other than the brief time I saw you where we had a splendid time playing games. Yes, that that honestly was one of the highlights. Uh, Me too. This Me was too. My... It was a lot of fun. Hey. Oh, good. I'm glad. That's actually one of my big things is whenever I play games with people is that I just want everyone to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you how often you'll be you'll hear horror stories of convention people going and 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 having these horrible experiences where someone was right. too competitive or was so disinterested and I'm I'm just like no I want everyone to leave the table at a convention specifically going this was an awesome experience I had yeah, a good time yeah. so it's good to yeah. know that that came across um but yeah first gen con ever uh never I had heard of it a bunch of times and I always thought it was more TTRPG focused which there is a lot of that but I was surprised at just how much board gaming goes on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like a lot. (laughs) 
like too much. I didn't know there was such a thing, but there is. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, Gen Con is all the board gaming. Every yeah, all of it there. actually. Yeah. I did not know that you could fit all the board games in one place, but they did. <laughs> they found a way to do it, and it apparently takes an entire stadium. And they uh, still fit all the RPGs there too. So yeah, it's it's a whole. It's oh god, and I oh god, but I I was fortunate enough to have my expectations tempered because I was volunteering at a booth. So I knew that a lot of my time was going to be occupied by doing that. Mm-hmm, so I didn't mm-hmm. have these high expectations of I'm going to see everything. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to participate in everything. Um, I was volunteering with uh, the Aegis booth um, cool. for uh, my buddy Breeze. He made a game about combining robots. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's called Aegis. They had their second printing. It was all that jazz. Nice. Um, so I basically pitched that game over and over again. But he, and I don't know how, it's probably fine to disclose this. Uh, he has this, uh, Gen Con is weird when it comes to booth priority. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's like priority points, which are like a hidden mechanic of reserving your booths. And you have to do this whole thing. And it's awful. And so if you don't go one year, then they take away like your priority and make it yeah this yeah. whole thing that you can't go and do and you have to rebuild up all that priority and if you're a small little indie booth uh you're just never getting back in so what he does right. is he basically like sublets his booth sort of under the radar a little bit uh and so this year he was subletting it to a game called uh shut up cat which is a game about trying to get a full night of sleep despite a super annoying cat uh, and it's hilarious and I love it. Sounds and very so, realistic. Too real, too real. It, it is based on a true story. Um, and so the that got the Kickstarter for that like just finished and it was successfully funded thanks to a lot of backers at Gen Con, which was a lot of fun. So it was nice. my my weekend was basically uh, like making eye contact with people, which I hate. Uh, eye contact, <laughs> then going, hey, do you want to hear about a robot game or a cat game? And usually one of those two things interested them. Right, right. Um, and so I would do, I basically wound up working kind of two booths because I, it's like, if, if they're not interested in the robot game that I was there for, and they're like, I actually want to hear about the cat game and the guy who made the cat game, uh, I think his name is Will Cox. He was like busy doing stuff. It's like, I might as well just tell you about the cat game. Right, right, right. So that was Sorry, not my territory. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, do you want to hear about a robot game or a cat game? Oh, I'd actually like to hear about the, uh, the cat game, please. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and then just, uh, you know, good luck with that. You yeah. can hear about it from me. Yeah, I know that that's what the giant <laughs> sign in the back says, but uh, no, you get robot game. Uh, <laughs> so that was a lot of it, right. but I did fortunately have enough time to go and talk with friends and uh, people in the industry and uh, got to play some games with people over at Resonim after the show mm-hmm. hours. Yeah, got yeah. To, good people um, there. Oh, God. Well, they're all so nice. Um, and uh, got to talk with some people that I've, I've met, you know, all the way back at like 2015 at like PAX South. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, cool to see the industry like be growing, but still have all your little buddies here and there uh, that mm-hmm. you get to know. So it was a lot of that, uh, a lot of running around, a lot of help in the booth. Um, but it, overall, Gen Con was a lot of fun. I'm actually really glad that I got to play test uh, the games that I got to. Um, I got to get a couple of play tests of my own games in there. So that was a lot of fun and uh and i got covid that was the least fun part of it um ah yes yes yeah, yes you are was... one of several people i know uh i did not get covid oh that's uh, good but you because you were one of safer people i know i took a lot of covid tests <laughs> mm, nice yeah, yeah it's i 
I like COVID tests. I just hate that. Like, I like the the sense that they feel like little science experiments you get to do. Um, but it's it just it sucks when they're positive and you're like, oh, OK. So my odds of dying just skyrocketed real quick. Right. Less fun than a microscope. Gonna be real. <laughs> <laughs> I, so it sounds like you're getting over it, though. That's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I would not be able to do a podcast if I had COVID. Um, I still have like a little bit of a, a weird throat. So if there's like random right. cutouts for me, that's probably me muting my right. mic to hack up a lung real quick and then jump right back in. Right, right. Because mama Fair didn't enough. raise no yeah. quitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. Well, um, yeah, no, uh, I'm glad your first Gen Con was an overall positive experience. Gen Con is, is tough. I've There were a lot of people this year I know who just chose not to go because it's just too much. Mm-hmm. Like... And then of the people I know that went, several of them still said, I don't know that I'll do this next year. Like, it's, it is a, it's lot. a lot. You know? I, so as someone who primarily goes to PAX, um, those conventions are a lot more laid back. I, I was kind of shocked at the sort of like insider feel that you needed to have going into Gen Con. Like right, there's all right. the weird event system and everything seems to be reserved. Um, you know, there's all the different locations and things that happen every year that have been happening for years and everybody just knows about right right. but if you're new to it it's a completely new experience so you're you're kind of on the sidelines like i had no idea events were a thing and which fortunately i was asked to go to gen con like a week before the convention okay okay like a last minute panic so i fortunately not knowing about the events wasn't necessarily me missing out on anything because when i went to go check them everything was already sold out and stuff right right like i have to pay to play board games with other people like that's weird um yeah yeah gen con is um one of the biggest like and i i get that they're like a big thing and like you have to feed the machine right to keep Mm -hmm. them running and who knows how much it actually costs them to rent uh the space and things like that like i i I don't know i mean the thing about it is that uh talking with some of the people that run packs it's crazy how much there's like fees on that for stuff that you wouldn't even imagine if you put up a sign there's taxes and fees on that. So if you uh, like were, uh, you know, just Gen Con and you wanted to have like a, hey, go right here for the Lorcana Thunderdome, like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> if they wanted to put a sign up for that, they would have to pay for that. And it's it's crazy. Like every single booth has to have, you know, there's fees associated with that. There's fees associated with all the workers. There's insurance fees. So, I mean, it's it's if you get into a rhythm, I assume when it comes to running a convention, even if that isn't the best system for something, it's right. Right. It's right. probably just easier to do that. That's probably why they still have paper tickets for things, which was right. Yeah. Just yeah. Better. It is. And they have an app that's decent that with the mapping and stuff, I haven't used it in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. Cause I haven't just need, I haven't needed it. Cause I'm one of those people that's been going since I go four. Mm-hmm. So like, I just know what to do, but I still like, I mean, the biggest thing that boggles my mind there is every other convention you go to has a dedicated space uh, that is easily accessible. I'm going to put mm-hmm. that in as easily accessible yeah. where everybody can just play board games like open gaming. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And I'm told that they have that in um, in like Lucas Oil Stadium. I've never bothered to go because it's I, nowhere near the rest I, of it. Yeah, I actually didn't even I was told about it. I actually didn't even know that was the open gaming space. Like I kind of assumed it was, but I didn't know for sure 
And do they even have board games you can check out there, or is it just a bunch of tables? No, they have board games you can check out. I think you have to pay to use the library. What? Um, yeah. So what? It's. I mean, the thing about Gen Con is everything is about making money, right? Yeah. Um, and again, I have no idea what kind of profits they run off Gen Con. Yeah. But like, I mean, they're paying their team. They're doing other things. Um, but I have to like. I have I struggle with understanding why every single thing has to cost so much money. Um, I mean, badges are super expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I like about PAX is that when you get a badge, you're I don't want to say entitled to, but like you're there's a list of things that you get along with that. Like you gain access to the game libraries, you gain access to all the free play areas and mm-hmm. those are unlimited and you just go as much as you want. Uh, and if, as long as you got a badge, you're you're copacetic, right? And you right, can, right. You can go and and so it's like if I see like tickets and stuff for things, I'm like I want to have a guaranteed better experience because I'm paying for it. Right, um, right. But talking to a buddy who went and did some of like the miniature painting events, um, he was like, "Yeah, a lot of these are really hit or miss. It's some of them are you know really awesome, hands on, instructive. You know, I'm getting I'm learning new techniques, and he teaches people how to paint miniatures. So like mm-hmm. that's a big deal." Whereas the one that I caught him at when I went to go meet up with him, he was like, yeah, we're going to leave early. This guy's just sitting here and I am bored and I paid $15 for this. And I was like, right, right. Uh, I, if, if you're going to charge money for people, you, you got to have a better system in place to make sure that a hundred percent of the events are consistent. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, they've got a whole system there going on with how they, how they do stuff. And, uh, but, positives for a second i yeah. love the show floor was probably my favorite convention show floor i've ever been to yeah um, yeah including like packs and all that because with uh it's and it probably just because personal preference i like board games more um and i i find board games a little bit more inviting than video games for some reason mm-hmm. um i feel like that's probably reversed for a lot of people i i don't know i feel the same as you it, um, yeah because there, there's physical things that can go and pick up and touch and, and, and you're stuff, sitting across it, from someone and you're looking at them and you're playing playing beings yeah. online there's a lot of hiding behind your avatar and yeah dick. yeah so and it, it so it's like it just felt very <laughs> open and inviting um like i actually tried out demos i got to you know look at a bunch of different games and stuff i'm so glad that i am not local because i would buy all the games i would i would easily i i i would estimate i would drop easily six hundred dollars on new board games like yeah, i've just I've been there from a walkthrough yeah. not even not even from stuff i want just from right. just <laughs> looking at things yeah yeah and that's that is i this year only bought one game at gen con one game the entire time i was there mm-hmm. and it was uno quattro <laughs> it was a wait, uno they, game they by made mattel it, they made uno wait what happened to uno trace so there's no trace there's an uno there's dose and then there's but so uno quattro i'm just gonna talk about why this is so cool for a second so they took the uno mechanics yes but they put them on tiles and it's connect four um so you're sliding tiles in except for it's free for all connect four first of all because once you put a tile in it's not yours anymore right so four in a row number color diagonal straight doesn't matter right um but the best part of it is um, they changed it so that instead of draw two, it's discard because you actually then lose tiles and have to play the only tile you have. You have to follow the rules when you play the tiles, the Uno rules. And the the best thing, hands down, the best thing about it, there's a tile that says swap on it. And the columns for the Connect Four thing 
actually pop out super oh easily. God. It's really sweet how they just pop out and you can swap two of them to change like the lineup of stuff to either create a connect four or to break like a connect three so that nobody gets the four. I um, love that. It's really, really cool. Um, my family loves it. It was super easy to understand. I, I actually saw it and was like, there's no way this is going to suck. Like I'm, I'm, so I walked over and I watched a dude do a demo of it and I was like, nope, I'm going to buy it. Like and it was 20 <laughs> bucks because it was, it's Mattel. No so way. it's huge and cheap. Yeah. Dang. Um, yeah, was, that, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it was funny to me that my wife even teased me that that was the only game I bought there. That um, you bought Uno. Is that what I normally am buying like these games you can only get there. Right. So. Oh, that's ins- that's that's funny. But I was proud I, of myself too for only buying one game. That is no, I'm proud of you too, honestly. Um, that's not that's that's a very hard thing to avoid. I I acquired yeah, right? a game. I didn't buy any games, but I acquired games. Uh, I backed some games like on Kickstarter and stuff. So mm-hmm. I mean, that, I guess that kind of counts. Um, but yeah, it is. I, uh, yeah, I backed a game on Kickstarter, and there was this really interesting discussion people were having and i'm not gonna like pass judgment or anything i i just think it's interesting to mention where i backed this game on kickstarter i'm not gonna say what sorry it wasn't kickstarter it was a pre-order um okay. and i didn't read the pre-order stuff like i just i know the company i like their games so i bought it yeah. um and they were selling copies at gen con but you couldn't pick up your pre-orders there um and the pre-orders haven't shipped yet uh, which I'm sure is just a whole thing with the shipping mm-hmm. company and stuff like that. Yeah, that seems um, like a thing that's out of their control. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And, you know, but you've got a lot of entitled people that are like, you shouldn't be selling the game if you if I can't have the game, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and some other people saying, well, you can sell the game, but I should be able to pick up my copy too. Uh, and so the couple thoughts I had on that were like, one, and I think it was John Gilmore commented and was like, no one should ever let you pick up copies that might also be mailed. And I agree with that because uh, twice yeah. I've done that. And twice I've got the game in the mail too. Yeah. Which, now, luckily those companies thing. were like, you know what? Just uh, give it away for free. Like do a, do a, I like, I'll like, I'll do like a, a little contest for it and give it away. Yeah. Um, and, and make sure to say, I'll say that you gave me an extra copy. And the company mm-hmm. was like, yeah, that sounds great. Go for it. You know? Cause obviously I'm not going to pay to ship it back to them. Right. Cause yeah, of course. Yeah. I, it's not this my is... fault that that happened, but also, yeah. I understand they're out of a product. So like, I want to try and help them and it's not worth them to ship it back to them. It's just not like yeah, it, it, the price of, of simultaneously having to already paid to ship it to you, the price that they would have to pay to have you ship it back. And then the price to potentially ship it to someone else or somewhere else. And then all the processing that happens happen all between that right, and all right. the, and then the fact that someone has to be paid to manage all of it is just, right. it's but not for that it, reason, yeah. You absolutely should not do the, you can check, you can pick up the game here. Like it will save you on shipping possibly, but I think it's a bad idea. It's awful for the company. Yeah. But the other thing is the idea that like they can't, like they shouldn't sell it. It's literally like that's keeping the company afloat, right? Like, I mean, yeah, the company's big opportunity to sell it is Gen Con and it super sucks that the distributor can't get it out in time, but that's not their fault, right? Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah. And and I think the comment was this person was like, I was really bummed about this because I saw the game and I wanted the game mm-hmm. and I couldn't have it. I was bummed. Right. And yeah. this publisher came in and was like, you have to understand like, and, and the person was like, I do understand, but I'm allowed to be bummed about it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm with you. I was super bummed. I really wanted to play the game. I'm a supporter of the company. I care a lot about this company, which is why I'm okay with it. But also part of you is like, 
I really want to play this game. I'm an early supporter Mm -hmm. and I can't play this game. And I'm bummed about that. Right. So it's just a really, you know, interesting thing. I think that what I had said to the publisher was, I feel like we set up a lot of bad expectations in the early days of Kickstarter that have just Mm -hmm. persisted even when they're not like, cause it used to be like, you would never sell a game before you shipped it out to people. But in the early days of Kickstarter, a lot of times people were actually shipping the games out to people. Right. Yeah. It wasn't just like, you know, a company was doing it. You yeah, were it was, doing it yourself. Yeah, it was somebody with a hilarious photo of their bedroom completely taken over by copies of their board right. game. Yeah, I, that was yeah. me. I did that, you know. Um, and I didn't sell at conventions, really, so it didn't matter. But um, but anyways, like, I, I just thought that was a really interesting discussion. Um, and I, I just think, think that... Yeah, go ahead, I actually, go ahead. I actually had basically that exact same experience. Um, and I'll, I will say the game and publisher because I, I think that they actually did a pretty good job with it because the timing worked out so well on their end. Um, uh, uh, Floodgate uh, with uh-huh. Sagrada Artisans. Yeah. And yeah, yeah so they had uh, copies there and I was like the top tier backer and I'm super excited about the game. And, you know, walking by their booth and seeing the giant mountain of games and being mm-hmm. like, man, like I, I still haven't got my copy yet. Uh, but like later that evening, I looked at my email and like the day I got back from Gen Con was the day it was arriving in my mail. And I was like, you know, yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to play it here. Right, right, right. So I'm really not missing out on anything. And then they also had other little bonus stuff at the booth to get for the game. They had uh, some of the expansion stuff that if you didn't buy it during the Kickstarter, like the little add on mm-hmm. bundles, you could, you could yeah, get it yeah. there. So it was like, okay, cool. I still have a thing I can buy here that is related to the game, but, uh, and they have it timed out so that I get it right when I get home. So even saves me on having to, I wouldn't want to have picked it up even if I could, because that was more convenient than actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always a big proponent of when Kickstarters want to do a little extra few, like where you get a few bucks off the the MSRP or something like that. Yeah. Which makes sense because logistically with Kickstarter, they are taking a lesser percentage than mm-hmm. the uh, manufacturer, than the manufacturer, than the um, the uh, uh, the stores would, right? Yeah. Um, off that, um, when you're talking about wholesale and stuff like that. But anyways, let's talk about your topic. You brought a topic here, so let's talk oh about my, that. Oh my gosh, it's it's a topic. It's a little. It's a little it's bit a of topic. a topic. It's a topic. It's a rant. It's all sorts of fun things. It's going right, to be right. great. Uh, and it's it's freaking it, I'm I'm just going to go for it. I'm tired of being the only one who reads rule books at every single board game day night event that I've been to. Uh, and I say that kind of joking. I'm not really tired of that. But I've noticed a trend in my personal board game experience that I'm the only one who has read rule books, people who own games that are not mine and have them at their house will, when I arrive, give me the rule book to read for their game to teach them how to play their own game that they backed on Kickstarter. You should charge for that service. That is, I'm, I would hire you to come to my house and teach me how to play games. Cause I'm, I'm the guy who it. doesn't read the rules. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's exactly. So it's like, there's, there's like a, a very weird group of people that are two. There's two separate groups of people, people who are really into reading the rules and teaching people how to play the game and all that jazz. And then people who buy the board games and just hope and pray that someday their savior will come and give them their explanation of how to play the game so that they never actually have to read the rule book. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to just talk about um, why that might be and why, what certain board games do to help alleviate that. And 
um, how sort of the design of rule books can help facilitate better um, and more motivated people. So I don't have to be the one to read it every single time. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, uh, that is, that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like late. I, I refuse to believe it's laziness, it right? It absolutely isn't. There's gotta um, be something else going on. Cause I don't mind reading the books and, and I, I know the reasons why I don't, but before I give that, uh, mm-hmm. I would like to say, uh, I would like to ask you, like, why do you think people don't want to read the rule books? I think it's a mix of, I, I was thinking about this last night when I wasn't writing down these points because I knew that this exact question would come up. So now I get to come up with those points again. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so prepared. Uh, I think one of the big things is that whoever reads the rules is then the teacher you know if it it's not like if i read the rules everyone else is going to read the rules and then we all can just start playing it's i'm going to read the rules and then i have to then teach everybody um Mm -hmm. and i feel like that pressure is a lot for some people i feel like the kinds of people who enjoy the quiet sort of contemplative nature of certain board games may not want to have that sort of charisma driven position of instructing a large group of possibly tipsy people how to move pieces of cardboard on a table for the next three hours uh, with the pressure of if you mess something up, there are certain personality types that will get very mad at you because you said you totally can't discard a card when you absolutely can. And that ruined everything for them and blah, blah, blah. So I think, I think the pressure of having to do the teach is, is one of the reasons. I think another Mm -hmm. reason is that board game rule books are very um, inherently unapproachable in the sense that it's not, like you're reading fiction it is like technical reading um it's not it's not reading for fun like there's nothing i mean i think it's fun because i'm weird but i could easily see a lot of people finding reading a rule book very not fun because it's not just reading about a story of heroes going on an adventure it's reading about how these heroes need to use these dice at these specific times and you have a hand of cards that you then have to micromanage and you have to have all the knowledge of why that happens. And mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of, of little details that you really have to pay attention to. And it's a different type of reading that even if you enjoy reading, you might not enjoy that. Right. So I think that also is a, probably the other big part of it. And then there's obviously the, the normal adult trappings of time and motivation, you know, it, it, having to sit down when, and not actually be playing the game, like the fun part that everybody likes uh, to sit down and read a rule book so that you hopefully will have fun later is, is kind of a hard sell to yourself. Um, so I think that, I think all those things combined are, are reasons why people don't necessarily go about reading the rule books. Um, but I am very fascinated and curious to hear if I, if I brought up certain ones of yours or if you have different ones than the ones I just brought up. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of that jumps out to me. Um, so, Rule books are not fun to read to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I have trouble, like, and this sounds stupid as a game designer, but I have trouble <laughs> understanding rule books. Like when I, I just natural, read yeah. a rule book, it just does not click for me, right? Oh yeah. Um, it's so like I've developed the system where I, as I read setup, I set everything up so I can see it all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I read the rules. Um, I will literally refuse to read the rules when there are other people there. Like oh, I will yeah. not be that person. Right. 
Oh, uh, like, it, now when you say that, do you mean you refuse to, like, have the book open skimming it to see where, like, you know, if someone had a question or something? Or is it, like, mm-hmm. I refuse to read them out loud as, like, I was... Oh, right. Yeah, no, definitely that. But running no, a I... sermon at a church, like... <laughs> Please turn your rule books to page four as we discuss movement right. abilities. That like, would actually be really helpful if we could have rule books like hymnals where like everybody yeah. <laughs> just had one. That'd be great. That would just honestly, pull them out from under would... your seat, you know? Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um No, I I it's for me, it's the pressure, right? Like you were saying, like the pressure yeah. of the teach. And so like when everyone's just sitting, because either one of two things are happening when you're reading a rule book to learn how to play the game when everyone is there is everyone's mm-hmm. talking. Yes. And I can't focus on it um, mm-hmm. or everyone's not talking and that I'm super anxious because they're all just staring at me like, hey, yeah. Jason, how do we play this game? Right. Mm-hmm. So I will always do it ahead of time. And at my house, we have the rule like you bring the game, you teach the game. Right. Like, it's, I, I yeah. mean, it's an unspoken rule. But like, if you show up with a game, it better not it, be in shrink and I have to learn how to play it to teach you. Oh, yeah. It's not going to happen. I uh, I actually relate that to um, candle etiquette of all things um candle yes so if you have new candles in your house it is actually rude to not have the wicks blackened um because it is showing that you got new candles out um it can be seen as like a sense of like uh better than you because i can afford to have new candles out for visitors and so it's it's polite to blacken the wick and burn it a little bit just to show that it's not a new candle and so i treat board games like that um if you're bringing a board game over or showing someone a board game, you need to blacken the wick. You need to take it out of the packaging. You need to punch out everything. You need to open the rules at least once. And I think that that's, that's courteous. I think that that's proper board game etiquette. Right. I'm just trying to like, if somebody showed up to my house with a game still in shrink and was like, we're going to take this out. We're going to punch it. I'd be like, get, just leave. Like, no, I... uh, we can do that. You can do that in the other room while we play games. Yeah, well, we actually have a fun time because as satisfying as punching things out, uh, I don't need to spend 30 minutes staring my friends in the face while we punch out 400 copper pieces. Yeah, yeah, it's just you're right. It's it's just rude, right? Yeah, Um, but I so like I I feel like there's a lot of people who don't think of it as rude because if if for every literally every other medium, um, video games, movies, music, whatever. You can do that. You can show up with a movie and and the shrink wrap still and be like, we're going to watch this movie. And then you can just open it up and pop it in. And that's I think that there's actually a lot of people who don't see that as rude because they have people like me in their lives who love reading rule books. And when they show up with a new game, they'll be like, yeah, you'll you'll figure it out like you always do. And it's like I've set this. I've I've set myself up for this. This is a horrible mistake. Um, Yes, (laughs) it's but I think like sure with the movie. But if I showed up with a DVD player in rap and a movie mm, yeah. and cables and it was brand new and no one knew how to hook it up. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. not be welcome. Right. That is I mean, unless you were going to leave it there after you figured out how to hook it up. Um, and at this point, a DVD player, you don't want that, but like, you know, yeah. I mean, something equally. Yeah, useful. No, I, the, the analogy, the, the counter argument to that analogy is, is, is perfect. Like it's, you know, there, there's more to a board game than just popping it in. You actually have so much more involved. Right, right. Yeah, I think that, like, <sighs> the other thing with rules are so many times rules are just, like, not that well written, right? Oh, I think, God, yeah. Know, we've talked oh, about this we're before getting into on the, the show. Yeah, I mean, yes. like, like, we, I think rules have come a very long ways. When I play a game from the early 2000s, 
And I read the rules. I'm like, bruh, who wrote these rules? This is just garbage. There um, are still board games out there that have terrible rules. Uh, and I'm going to bring them up now. Uh, there's, <laughs> I'm just putting them on the spot. Uh, I, I, there's one that the company themselves actually kind of admits that the rule book isn't super great. Uh, have you heard of the game Cat in the Box? Um, I just, I just heard of, I, I, I saw that for the first time at Gen Con this year. Yes. Amazing game. Love it. One of my favorite trick taking games and it plays up to five players, which is also awesome. They have a Kickstarter going on. I think that's coming up soon where they made just the same game, but bigger, um, Mm -hmm. like, like physically just bigger. It's like those jumbo versions and I'm super excited for it. So I know that this comes from a place of love, uh, but I was demoing the game and the guy running the booth, as I reached for, like, the rule book, like, put his hand, like, on mine and was like, you don't want to read the rule book. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> That's and amazing. The, and, and I was like, there's no way. And so I've, I've purchased the game and played it and stuff. And I was like, I, it can't be that bad. And I open up the rule book and it's so long and tedious and so wordy and awful to get through. And I'm like, yeah, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I think that uh, had I just bought the game and tried to learn it from the rule book, I wouldn't like it as much as I would now. Right, right. Um, and I could easily see that. The other game that of recent memory that I've I've had to use, uh, it it wins an award from me, my own award. It's a JC award. I just made them up. It's got the first one. Um, <laughs> of being the only board game to require me to watch a how to play video um oh and like is that like part of the rules or like it's just the rules are that bad the rules were were so confusing to me that i had to break like normally i hate watching how to play videos mm-hmm. um just because they feel like like school lectures to me um and they're usually very dry and very instructional and there's nothing wrong with that and i think that they're i'm they're fantastic resource or resource for people who don't like reading rule books. I get, um, I get personally, I get bored. Like I'm like, yeah, Oh, I got to fast forward. And then I'm like, Oh wait, I missed something. Oh, yeah. Like, I missed, ah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's too much. Uh, my video consumption habits online do not bode well for a how to play video. Um, right. Unless they can teach it in less than a minute, which yeah. is not possible. But if you can, then I'm yeah, in. then it's fantastic. I mean, there are some games out there that you can teach in less than a minute. Which right. Is if you could do that, though, I probably could have read the rules. Read the rule books, right? Yeah, right. exactly. So um, the game for that is uh, Oink Games Startups. Um, okay. So yeah, I heard about this one. Yeah. Startups has one of the most confusing rule books because of the way that they word things. Mm-hmm. Um, like certain things are like you have two areas that you can play cards to, but one of them is called like the market area, but one of them isn't really called anything. It's just like in front of you. And oh, there's got to give stuff names. Yeah. Like, and I think it has a thing. Name, it, name, it makes sense. Right. Uh, and the other problem with it is that it's a piece. It's a single long piece of paper with like flow charts on it. And if your board game has a flow chart, like I'm already gone. Um, it's, it's a super long piece of paper that is super tiny text that all kind of runs into it, each other. And it, it's super weird. And it's one of those games where I think that if you play it and someone explains it to you, it makes perfect sense. And then if you went to read the rule book, you'd be like, this isn't the same game. This can't be the same game. It is. Ah. There's no way this is clearly some different. This is, I'm being pranked. Like I must, I'm on the, I must be on like the wrong language side of things. And right, right, right. Um, and, and I, and I think that it, I love, and again, 
this is coming from a place of love. I love startups. I think it's a fantastic game. I keep it almost in my bag all the time because it's so tiny. That's like the benefit of one games is that you can yeah, chuck them yeah. in anything and take them with you wherever. Um, so I love I love the game. Hate the rules. I I um had I have a very distinct memory of listening to their how to play video that I think Oink Games made themselves. Um, and the problem is is that they used like puppets with like really grating voices. <laughs> oh, so no. imagine me in a Texas summer in a car with barely functional AC listening to puppets talk about how to play startups and just like white knuckling the steering wheel going, I wish I could have just read this. <laughs> that is so, awful. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's stuff like that that makes me go, yeah, I, would not wish this on my worst enemy. I would not want anyone to have to go through this process. Well, I might wish it on my worst enemy, but I mean, it's not that bad, <laughs> Did, but it, um, it's okay. Uh, if we were just like light enemies, I would wish it on you. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if the, um, did the rule book have pictures in it? Yes, but they're like pictogram and they're tiny. Oh, and I okay. think a lot of them, I, I wish I had it like, I wish I had it like next to me or something. Cause it, 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 it is not like, it, it's not good. There's, if there are pictures, they're too small um, or there weren't descriptive enough. And I'm, I'm all for having pictures and rule books, but I actually think that sometimes pictures are counterproductive because they make the rule book longer. And uh, yeah. And I think that that also is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't read the rules for rule books is because if you give all those examples and scenarios and, little side notes explaining strategies and you know you have a very well thought out detailed rule book it's going to be longer than it needs to be just on a just a fundamental you can't put right. all that in a short rule book you have to have right. a longer rule book i so here's what i try to do uh, yeah. i try to keep it to a couple pictures mm-hmm. um but i believe like so if you disagree with this that's fine but you're wrong um <laughs> no so hard to disagree here but i i think that in a rule book a picture of setup with arrows and labels to all of the important bits mm-hmm. is for my brain is a better indication of what to do than almost the entirety of the rule book. Yep. Oh, um, I agree with that. And then if you're taking specific actions that involve you interacting between a couple of those things, a picture of that happening again with arrows and labels mm-hmm. to me saves a lot of words. Um, personally but i see what you're saying i've seen games where there's like 27 pictures and they just then it becomes like words they just all blur together right yeah like the pictures need to stand out and be obvious about that yeah i and i and i definitely agree that it's uh and i i hope i didn't come off like that i'm like anti-picture uh no i love pictures they're worth so many words like a thousand um and they're just really good resources for explaining things to people who are much more visually inclined and I love them. It's just that there's, you have to be careful with the length of the rule book, the physical length of it, because you know, that it it doesn't matter if, you know, it did, it saved you a bunch of words. If it's 27 pages, someone's going to go, I'm not reading 27 pages, even though there's a picture taking up at least 25 of those pages. See, For me, it's not the length, it's the density. And I realize after that came out of my mouth, what that <laughs> what that sounded like, but like it really does 
to me, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, breaking up the words. Uh, other things they can do is bullet points. Like yes. my rules are longer than they need to be because I start new paragraphs constantly mm-hmm. because that gap in the in the text mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. it easier for me to parse. Um, I basically write rule books how they work best for me. Um, which can also mean that they don't work well for other people. That's exactly. that's the catch, right? I think that that is one of the fundamental issues with rule books is that mm-hmm. because we all intake things differently, um, and you know, yeah, okay, we can have a video for some people, but the idea of like, okay, JC reads a rule book best this way, and Jason reads it best this way, and those are like diametrically opposed, right? Yeah, that's oh, a yeah. problem. I'm not saying that our opinions necessarily are, but. Uh, there are a lot of gamers out there. So the idea that they could be is not far-fetched at all. Oh, right? absolutely not. And that's why I think videos are fantastic options for people because the videos are substituting for people who, you know, read better with not reading. <laughs> right, right. Anyways, I think that uh, it's, there's a lot of optics that goes into not reading the rule books. Right, um, right. I think, I think it's a lot of perception and misinformation that it's a wholly boring and awful experience because mm-hmm. for the most part it kind of is but yeah it, yeah it there is a lot to enjoy about it i find that the the kind of puzzle of figuring out how a new game ticks and those kind of cool discovery moments of seeing a game do something that hasn't you haven't seen before i think that those are really cool moments and i think seeing that illustrated in a rule book is some of my favorite parts of getting to know the new game and and Right, being able right. to get the opportunity to then explain that to other people and be like, hey, this game does this really cool thing where you've got these cards and they they work like pages in a book and you get to flip them over. That's a preview of the game I'm working on. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I love I love those moments. And I, I think that um, that's I, I think that we're I think rule books can be written better. And that's kind of where I want to transition into is like how I want to what I want to see out of rule books mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and one of the things I thought of was uh, that I'm actually, I weirdly enough, I want there to be less flavor text in the rule book. Um, and I know that that probably would sound like I'm counteracting the point of making a rule book less fun or anything, mm-hmm. but I need the flavor text to be at the very beginning as like just a blurb that says like who we are and what we're doing, because otherwise. Uh, if you're sprinkling that shiz like in as like little boxes everywhere throughout mm-hmm. your rule book, I'm I'm so distracted and I I will glance over that every single time and never actually so, read it. So I agree with you. Um, with with one little caveat, sometimes right, mm-hmm. the the fun stuff like that can make the game easier to understand. Yeah, um, with your theme, but, like, interacting with the mechanics. Yeah, like, yeah. so, Banana Chan and I designed this game called Life of the Party, and it's about um, it's about hiring a travel agency as ghosts to go to a party to uh, take over people's bodies and play a social deduction game. Oh, heck yeah. Um, and so, like, the way that, that she and I wrote the rule book is written from the perspective of you hiring this travel agent and so every part of the rule book is written in that voice. That's but funny. doing it that way actually makes it flow better and easier. Now, when it's like I'm playing my game, 
the lost world of yeah blah 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 blah, blah, blah right and they're like it said that the dragon blah 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 did the, like that's not helpful like, right I, yeah like you're not you're not doing it. yeah when i was when i was working right. on my rule book one of the things is that whenever i had something that was if I ever had a mechanic, I would always try to explain the mechanic in the real world equivalent. So like you get to do this mechanic because your little dude is panicking and that's it's mm-hmm. called panicking. Yeah, yeah. And you're panicking because this board state is happening. And in the real world, that would make you panic. And so that's why it's right. called that. Like it, it, I'm, I, I hope that by putting those kinds of things, those little, um, it, it's less story and more like, here's like why the mechanic is called what it is and why it works the way mm-hmm, it does mm-hmm. um more like what here's the thematic justification for why you discard exactly. four cards yeah. and draw five like it, it helps you remember that because you're like oh okay i'm i'm panicking in real life therefore i get to panic in the game um, right right yeah <laughs> yeah and i i agree with you i think that keeping it because so many abstract games can be tough to read mm-hmm. the rule books on simply because there's no touch there's points nothing. to reality, yeah. right? There's no story yeah. there. It really is just a, a nonfiction book. Um, you know, uh, whereas when you say like, I'm making these things happen, like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like, Oh, my character's yeah. panicking. Right. You're not yeah. like move your pawn away this far because you know, because yeah, they were two um, spaces away and that triggers right. this phase of, of, the turn yeah no, no, right no. right and so um, that i just think that like i think that it's it is best managed as a like it's i think you have to see what will make the game easiest to understand in the rules is probably mm. where i think we both agree on right is yes if sure. adding that flavor in is useful do it if it's not good gosh, don't do it because it's not going to be helpful. Yeah. You know, it's just going to distract people and they don't care. Right. Like the no, first time I yeah, sit down to play a know. game, like even if it's Gloomhaven or something that's supposed to be like, just, you know, all oh, this yeah, all, story, it, all the time. Yeah. I, I just want to play the game. Right. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. find this a lot in like phone games when I start to play like a little phone game and it's like in the world of, and I'm like, skip, oh, skip, yeah, skip, skip. I don't skip, care. Skip, 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 I want to yeah. figure out if this game is fun or not. Like this is a shooter. Like, I don't need to know that, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't need to know that there's all this lore. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. And it matters to some people, but this is probably not the game they're playing, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think I think you you nailed that one. Um, I, uh, I think something that this kind of transitions into well is that um, I, when I teach people board games, if the board game rulebook didn't give me a thematic justification for something... I'm going to come up with one if I can, because then it helps like that. both me remember it and it helps like yep. everyone yep. else at the table remember it. Mm-hmm. So uh, for example, there's a, uh, I, I hate to pick on oint games, but scout, uh, <laughs> right, scout right. has, has this one particular rule where um, it's, uh, I, I'm not explaining all of scout. Basically there's going to be a row of cards on the table and you can only take from either end. And the idea is that that is you scouting a um uh a, a performer from your opponent's circus and you could only take from the ends and so i always justified it in my head is you're sneaky on the side of the carnival tent and yep. you're literally yep. grabbing people off the edge of the show yeah to, yeah to to go and that's that's not in the rules as far as i know but when i explain it that way no one forgets that they can't take from the end. They they can't right, take from right. wherever they because want. Because they know why, right? You're, yeah, you're not te- teaching the what, you're teaching them the why along with exactly. that. Exactly. 
Yeah. yeah and yeah. it would have been cool for the, the game to have to explain something like that in the rules to help the teach go better. Because I think that that's one of the core reasons that is preventing a lot of people from reading the rule books is that they're afraid of the teach and yeah. the rule book does nothing to help you with the teach. Right. That's a really, really good point. The rule in, in, I, I struggle to decide whether or not that's the rule book's job. Right. Well, and that's what I was, uh, I was debating is like, do I want to make a teach guide and, uh, how, like, is that a separate thing that needs to come in the start coming in the box? Like, is that, yeah, uh, yeah that's, you cool. know, it, like is, is, because you might have this big, you know, book of rules and stuff, but that might not necessarily be the, it might be the most sensible way to put it in a rule book, but it might not be the most sensible way to teach it. You know? That's like, a really good point. Yeah. You know, yeah. if we're playing a game that has, you know, like Betrayal at House on the Hill, for example, mm-hmm. um, Betrayal at House on the Hill, one of my favorite games, there's two main phases to that game. And you don't need to know like 50 to 75% of the rules until that second half. Um, but the rule book, only doesn't really delineate that it, it tells you how to attack things and how to steal things and how to interact with objects and trade them and, and the restrictions on using them and things when for the first half of the game all you really need to know is that whenever it says make a strength check or whatever it says in the rule book like you know uh it just needs to explain that because all you're really doing is going around and interacting with these event cards that have your you know stuff on it so it 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 is, I think that a separate like how to play guide that says, hey, until the haunt is triggered, you know, do these are the only rules you need to tell your friends. Right. That right. might be a useful little, even if it's just like a piece of paper or something that says like how to right. do it. Um, I. Uh, but the interesting thing is the question that is like, um, like, is that because I'm familiar with the game, but not enough to mm-hmm. like be able to know this. Does it influence, does knowing what's going to happen when that, when that portion of the game is triggered, does that influence how you play the game before that? No. Okay. Then yeah. So there's, there's yeah, absolutely, yeah. because the, the whole point of Betrayal of the House on the Hill is that it's different pretty much every time you play it when you get to that second half. Right. Sometimes when you get to that second half, you don't even need to know how to attack things. Um, right. Like it'll, the, most of the time, the freaking, uh, the uh, haunt rules are specific to that haunt. And it's like, you're going to be doing this specific action using this specific stat with these specific items, like on your person. Um, and otherwise you don't need to know any of the other stuff. So usually when I'm teaching betrayal at house on the hill, I skip most of the rules and the rule book did not tell me to do that. I just had to figure that out after playing it a million times um, with all sorts of different people. Um, so I, I definitely think that rule books, they may not ha- need to have a, how to teach guide, but I think a, uh, a clear order of here's how you play the game right built into the rules maybe like a and, quick start guide yeah but like one that's not like the normal quick start guide which is right. mostly just a refresher on that's the true. rules if you already know it well which those I, are good resources though a, a lot for, of things with technology i find when i buy technology uh things there'll be a guide and there'll be a quick start guide yeah, and I will only ever read the quick start guide because one, I'm confident I probably figure it out myself. Uh, and the quick start guide will stop me from doing anything catastrophically wrong. Right. Yeah. And two, I, we've talked about, I don't care to read things like rules and that's really what quick, uh, you know, your instructions are just rules, right? That's yeah. all they are. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, quick start guides in board games tend to be almost like the opposite for me. If I see a quick start guide, 
Um, unless it's for like a sequel to a game that has mostly the same rules. So mm-hmm. like uh, Clank Catacombs, when it came out, it was like, hey, we highlighted all the things in this rulebook that are different from the previous game. That's so cool. Just, so just if you know the system already, you can skip everything else except for these little bits. Um, and so that essentially is like a quick start guide in a sense that it's like, you are, if you already know the base game rules, they're not that different. Just go have fun. Awesome. Well, that was a that was a fun discussion around rules, uh, but we should um, we should probably move on to the pitch. Um, I'd love for anyone out there um, to throw in their feedback on this kind of rules stuff uh, in the Discord channel. That'd be awesome. JC did recently join the Discord channel, so you can talk to him there too. Um, so now uh, JC is going to pitch a game. So uh, you're just going to tell me about a game that you're working on or worked on or some form of you game that you're doing stuff with in a labyrinth <laughs> and in front of you include all the flavor text please oh yeah well i mean that's pretty much what a pitch is right <laughs> right right but yes you wake up in a labyrinth and in front of you in the dark maze is a tattered spell book with all the pages torn out you've been trapped in this labyrinth by some evil wizard but fortunately his discarded pages are scattered around this maze and it's up to you to grab whatever pages you can, shove them in your spellbook, and get yourself out before the whole dimension collapses around you. So that's for my game Spellbook Scramble, which is a uh, two to four competitive uh, player um, competitive game. Wasn't actually sure if you were doing a bit or if that was actually the game. Like, no, I, that was actually you, the game. I know. So, yeah. I, honestly, that applies to my whole life, really. There, no one's ever sure if I'm doing <laughs> a bit or if that's me being serious. And that's the way I, it likes, I like to keep people on their toes. It's it's fun. Um but yeah, no, that was that was actually the the thing for the game. Uh, yeah, Spellbook Scramble. It's a game I've been working on for ages. That's finally uh, fun, which uh, turns out is a very important part of a board game. Uh, <laughs> it is a two to four player game where you get to uh, basically cast spells that are manipulating this labyrinth as you run around to piles of pages and shove them back in your spellbook. So the pages that you collect, um, it's essentially a deck builder. But the trick nice. is, is that your deck is uh literal pages in a book and to cast whatever spell you turn them like pages to get to whatever uh spell you want so all the cards are double-sided with an area on one side of where the spell will take effect and then the effect of what it's going to do um so when you put a new page in you're essentially making two new spells uh that are now differentiated by that new page that you put in oh okay Um, okay and so you're and uh, you're building out this spell book. You're, you're coming up with spells. You can put these pages in wherever they want since they're all double-sided. Um, and the cool part is, is that as you're doing that, these pages have instructions in the form of coordinates on the maze where you need to summon portals to get yourself out. Um, so one half of the coordinates for the grid that you play on is on one side of the page and another uh, the other half of it is on the other side of the page. And so when you put it into your, your spell book, you're basically saying on on the grid... I need to get to this space to summon that portal. And okay. at the end of the game, you will pick up your spell book and you read through all the coordinates that you should have summoned portals at. And then when you close it, there's one final space where you'll complete the ritual and it's the covers of your book that were hidden from everyone else at the beginning of the game. Uh, okay. And so you get to go through and there's this whole like dramatic, like ritual kind of thing you get to do at the end where you get to read all the coordinates out and check to make sure that you actually bested everybody. Um, but all the spells are super fun. Uh, they all manipulate the maze in some way. So a lot of the um, player interaction is involving us blocking people off from paths that they may want to take um, and making shortcuts for yourself. 
Uh, there's other mechanics in there, like there's um, trick walls that only you can walk through, so you can make something that's super short for yourself, but has a huge winding path for someone else. Okay. Uh, but yeah, is it's there really fun. there's a board with the labyrinth? Yeah, on? yeah, yeah. There's a there's a whole board. Um, all the walls are um, individual segments. Have you ever played that sort of like dots and lines game? Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. You put like a grid of dots. dots it's and boxes, basically yeah. it's basically that. Um, and the game starts with the board pre-made with their with the maze. But once you know how the game works, you can actually randomize everybody's start location and where all the piles of pages are and then take turns building out the maze. Um, OK, so you actually get to customize what the maze is and create those shortcuts instead of playing on a perfectly symmetrical board. You get to play on a board that you strategically placed where your walls are because your spells prioritize your walls. So if you have all your little shortcuts and walls everywhere Mm -hmm. um, and someone blocks you off, if your spell is targeting both your walls and someone else's, uh, then you didn't strategize right. And you, you now have to affect your walls, which might not be something you want to do. So there's a lot of planning involved with like, I need to make sure I have these spells set up for these areas because I need to get through to this area and, it's, it's really cool. It's got a lot of strategy that you could ignore if you want. You can just chuck pages in and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's cool that you can engage with it on a lot of different levels of strategy. There's a lot of different ways that you can go about approaching it. Um, I'm super excited to it. I've been pitching it to like publishers and stuff. So fingers crossed it'll be a real it'll be a real game someday. Uh, nice. So it sounds like you've designed rule book, rule book the board game. Kind of, yeah. Uh, basically, <laughs> you're building a rule book, and you get to <laughs> rule book the board game. Yes. Oh god, yeah. That was it. Was actually the first game that I wrote a rule book for, um, and I'm so glad that I did that and spent so much time making it look good and and putting it all together and making images and diagrams and stuff, and then doing a major overhaul of all the systems so that now I have to do that whole process all over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, um... But, yeah. The game sounds super unique, though. I love, I love the idea of the deck builder, but it's, it's you know, pages so that you flip Thank them. You. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a mechanic that I've, I've never seen until literally going to Gen Con this year and there being one exact game that just came out that just had that mechanic. Oh. I was so, so happy that I, oh, oh, you'd love to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But fortunately, I'm, I think I'm doing it better, but that's just me. Uh, so <laughs> no, they, they do it. They it's, we use it in very fundamentally different ways. They use it for more like resource management, uh, generation, whereas mine's more like area control tile placement. Yeah. So yeah. It's, no, that's, they're, they're that's backing great. different mechanics. So it, 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 we can, they can live for now. A lot of times the first game that's published with a mechanic is not the best game that's published with a mm-hmm. mechanic. That's the truth. Yeah. You know, I had a really like kind of awkward conversation with the designer because he's French and didn't speak English very well. And I'm like grilling him on how this mechanic works because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I, I wasn't making like the exact same game and I didn't have time to demo it at the moment. So I, I needed to get the rundown for it. I felt I felt bad because I was like, mm-hmm. how does this work? Tell me all your secrets. Um, but yeah, that's that's the that's the main uh, that's the the main game that I'm working on. And I. I'm very proud of, of my of my little child. It, it's it's been a long time in development. I've been working on it for like five years now, um, on and off. The uh, and it's gone through a ton of iterations where I've just followed the fun kind of every step of the way till it's it's gotten to its current form. Originally, the game was called uh, I don't know if I said the name of the game. It's called Spellbook Scramble. Yeah, you did. Um, you said that. Yeah, okay, yeah. I did. Good. Okay, good. It's on, a great good, name. Good, good marketing. Thank you. I like alliteration. Me, um, me too. And I, I, for, I have ex, like quote unquote expansions and like modules planned for it eventually. If 
uh, someone gives me money to develop those. Um, and it, it's like, um, what is it? Beastly brawls and uh, uh, what is it? Thrashing thralls. There's hurried halls. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's all this alliteration and rhyming going on with all nice. I love that. I know it's very, it's very silly, but um, I don't remember where I was going with that. There was a thing I was going to say about it. Oh, it was originally called combo casters. Uh, and okay. it was a, a wildly unfun game that I played with my friends for like three hours and no one was even close to winning. <laughs> um, I've never seen like a sadder look in my friends' faces as they look up to me and go, JC, please, can we stop? We're so bored. <laughs> I was like, please, huh, please, this, this is awful. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But now it's actually fun and it plays in like, uh, I'm very proud of myself. It, it's It's gone to like a 25 to 45 minute playtime that's still mechanically deep and interesting, so... Yes, that's Designer awesome. Goals. It actually that sounds that sounds super fun. I'm bummed that I didn't get to see that at Gen Con. So uh, I here... had it in my bag, and I was tempted to bust it out, but uh, the prototype that we played played more people. So, and it sounded like it needed, um, like it, it sounded like it was a, it was their first time like uh, playing it. So it was like I figured that was probably more productive for everybody to ah, see right, that right, and right. play that. And I was always I'm always more interested in playing other people's prototypes usually when I'm at events like that because I can always you know, play test with friends and family and stuff, but I can't, you know, play other people's prototypes in person with them, mm-hmm. except for at conventions. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I bring it with me uh, to all, all the conventions and stuff. So yeah, next time we, we meet up, I, I will definitely give you a shot at it. Cause it is, uh, I personally think it's a lot of fun, uh, which is good. Cause I made the thing. So that'd be kind of weird if I was like, yeah, it's all right. Like five out of 10, like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I I I, I want to try that. If you, you you're gonna be at PAX Unplugged, oh, absolutely. I'm okay, absolutely yes, I will try it there for sure. And fingers crossed, I have a uh, panel uh, that I'm I'm hopefully gonna be hosting. Um, have I told you about this? No, no. Oh my gosh, have I not told you about Punch Out, the board game guessing game that uses only the empty punch boards of board games as your starting information? <laughs> That's good. I would be awful at that game, but that's good. Well, the idea is that um, that's you get that to start with. And then I'm going to what the, the main plan of right now is, is that you're going to come up to the front. You're given the punch boards. The punch boards will be on the screen for everybody to mm-hmm. see. And then you, you're given an opportunity to get like maximum points if you can guess it off just that. But if you can't, you're given a, a paragraph of text and the paragraph has holes in like physical holes cut out of it of of the words uh-huh. that would give you the information that you would need to solve it and if you get through that whole blurb every time you get more information on the blurb you lose a couple points that you could make from it um if you get through all of that you still can't guess it it just goes to a multiple choice um and you can guess from there um so i'm i'm excited uh to hopefully do that i'm collecting the empty punch boards i walked around gen con like finding people who had new games and being like hey can i have your garbage and <laughs> they were like why <laughs> none of them just gave it to me i was offering to take their trash away from them and they they were they were all like no this is my trash for now you have to tell me because they wanted to know why you wanted because i'm sure as board gamers they were like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa wait is this worth something like what is <laughs> yeah can i sell this I, on ebay like lorcana yeah, cards yeah oh god oh god i didn't even touch lorcana while i was at gen con i didn't touch up with a 10-foot pole yeah no. i know it's a game where I, they're supposed to have like an i believe there's an app coming out where you'll be able to play it um, oh. like a digital version that's i could be wrong oh, about that okay, but that's okay. my understanding of it i yeah, the game I... sounds fun and i would love to try that 
uh, but I'm not interested in um, losing quarts of blood to. Yeah, get. like it's just yeah. not worth it to me. I mean, I, d- I had a couple friends who waited in line. They bought two. They bought two starter decks and mm. two um, cases. Like, right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was about five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks, I think, for all of it. That's a lot. They of, opened uh... all of them, found two legendaries, immediately went to a dealer, sold those two legendaries for a total of fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars. Oh my god! And they were done. Like so, they had made a huge profit, got the cards they wanted, and uh, yeah, that was it. I mean, like so, like that in doesn't their even case, sound like fun. <clears throat> What'd you say? That doesn't even sound like fun. Like but if I mean, that was my Gen Con experience, I'd be sad. I'd be well, richer but, and sad. I mean, I guess I look at it as they got all the cards they wanted, right? They want to play the oh, game. Oh yeah, so I guess that cards. is an important part. They only there. sold two cards out of like yeah. the two hundred they got, or something. Okay, like maybe that, that does so, sound a little fun. Actually. Yeah. Um. So I mean, that was great for them. I mean, it covered probably most of the cost of their trip, yeah. and then you know, and they got these cards. Um. It'll be interesting to see what happens with a game like that. The prices have yeah. to normalize. Um, oh yeah, they will. Uh, I mean, I, I understand there are games like Magic where the the prices stay high forever, but yeah. I think right now what we're seeing is a game that is not released yet, right? Mm-hmm. At the fever mm-hmm. pitch of people wanting that. I'm sure mm-hmm. prices will still stay high, but they're not sustainable at seven hundred dollars no. for no, a legendary no, no. card. It's just it's just not. Yeah. And actually, yeah. if if a dealer paid seven hundred dollars for it, you probably could have sold it on eBay for a thousand. Yeah. Um, that is got so to be people scrambling ahead of time. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, maybe it's two hundred a year from now, but yeah, that's much different than you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are still magic cards from ten plus years ago or twenty years ago. God, that mm-hmm. you know that are like thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh, God, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I, I, I uh, yeah. my only experience with like uh, card hype is uh, from a game called Force of Will. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a set of cards. Force of Will is, if for those of you who are unaware. Um, cause it's not like the most popular t- uh, trading card game out there. I played it for like, w- like two sets or something like that. And it basically was based off like fairy tales at the time. I think they moved mm-hmm. on to like other sort of like childhood stories and stuff, but it's very anime. Um, it, it basically played a lot like commander, uh, in magic, the gathering, you had like your ruler who was like your main. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah for your deck. And they, they, you kind of built your deck around getting them out and them doing their, their special anime moves. Um, but uh yeah i i got there was it was the hot new thing and there was one particular card that i pulled in like my last pack of the box that i bought um and it was for a card called like cheshire cat Mm -hmm. and it was a misprint where someone and i say this in massive air quotes accidentally forgot to put her pants on that doesn't seem like an accident. Yeah. I, no, no. It was a pantsless Cheshire. It's an actual card for Force of Will. Uh, Is it called it Pantsless worth... Cheshire? Because then I, I feel think like it you, was if, a mistake. Like, if you Google, like, yeah, that's like on the card. No. If you Googled, like, Pantsless Cheshire Cat, like, Force of Will, it'll come up. Um, and it's not, like, super raunchy or anything. And it does, like, if you imagine, like, the skin color being swapped with, like, pants color, like, you might. But, I mean, it was already, anyways whatever uh right 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 it it was worth a lot of money at the time but it now is only worth like 70 bucks um and so like i think it was worth like over 200 300 at the time uh oh, wow. and so that's how i feel about lorcana cards is that it's these crazy high prices because everybody wants their own pantsless cheshire i don't know what the equivalent of that is in lorcana i don't know like 
assless chap goofy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. My but, goodness. But, wow. Uh yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think that the Lorcana hype is gonna last much longer. So I, I had to look this card up because until you said like um it, until the card pulled up, it did not click for me. Like I thought it was an actual cat, and I was like, "Why did the cat? Why was it <laughs> all, like? How do people cat, notice? All cats like, are cat pantsless. Have Why pants is this on? Like, <laughs> I mean, even like you know, you even look at like you know Daffy Duck, and he might wear a shirt, but he doesn't have yeah. pants on. So like, I don't get it. Um, no, uh, yeah, do you but, get it? No, now? it's it is a it is an anime woman. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, mm-hmm. why is this weird? Like, yeah. Well, like, and the yeah. other thing is, is that it was a really good card. Like, it was played in a lot of decks. So the fact that right, there was right. a misprint of it made it even like doubly more. Yeah, I don't know how that was a misprint though. Like, like it literally, wasn't. like There's you no look way. at the card and it's just someone not wearing pants. Like, it's it. <laughs> and like to be fair, in anime style, their butt is like pointed directly at the camera. Naturally, um, yes. So it's so, like so, and they're not no. wearing pants. It's very this obvious. Was, this yeah. is someone's joke that went too far like they totally yeah. were like yeah. would it be funny if this got printed like i'm gonna send it to the manufacturer and then see if they catch it and then they like didn't and they're like oh no we're, we're gonna have to call this a misprint for legal reasons like <laughs> right 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 yeah oh god um we got middle finger goofy you know right like middle finger like goofy. goofy's <laughs> got his middle fingers up like we didn't it was an accident like how yeah, was it an accident yeah. um oh god so but, anyways yeah <laughs> hey this has been super fun jc having you on yeah, this has been um, super fun. I'm excited to finally have podcasted. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be able to 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 be your first podcast of of many. I'm sure. Oh so, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're Bro, they're lining up at the doors right now. You're certainly welcome back here again too. So yay, I would um, love to. And I think I'm gonna do a um a, a blog post about this uh, exact topic that kind yeah. of goes into some awesome. of the details and stuff that we talked about. So I will put that on my. Uh, my blog prototyping proto dash typing on yes. board game proto dash typing. Um, uh, is there if you uh, if people want to get in touch with you if you want them to? What's the best way? Obviously, they can find you in our Discord channel. But are there yeah. any other good places? Uh, yeah, if you find me on Discord or uh, Blue Sky now, I finally got that set up. Uh, JCW gay. Uh, that will also eventually I be my that. website, but that's not. <laughs> Because apparently .gay is now a domain extension that you can buy for super cheap, which is amazing. It is the best. Uh, But if you also want to get me on uh, X or Twitter, as everyone calls it, uh, I'm 2020 underscore gaming on there. Um, And those are the best kind of places to reach me. Um, I mean, carrier pigeon, if you got it. Right. Uh, Send a raven. Yes. Uh. (laughs) Astral project. Yeah. But not into your house. That's creepy. Um, yeah right just outside the window like a normal person no offense (laughs) but the only way i would go to texas is if i was astral projecting we've so my my office has probably gone up at least 20 degrees because my air conditioning i turned off for the recording right i used to my my rob and i who used to start this podcast we would blare the air conditioner just like full blast and then turn it off and by Mm -hmm. the end of that hour we were sweating so Mm -hmm. uh yep well you can go eat some hot pizza that'll be great that'll cool me off um but thanks again for being on the show um yeah thanks for having me uh listeners thanks for joining us we hope you had a good time um if you want to get in touch with us you can of course go to buildingthegamepodcast.com there you can find a link to our discord join our awesome discord channel come to our awesome weekly accountability meetups that are awesome uh you can also email us buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com uh 
you can find us in some other places. I just set up a Blue Sky account, but I haven't done anything with it yet. And I'll get one for the podcast eventually. But you know me, it'll probably take a while. Um, so the best thing to do is keep coming back every single week. But until next time, good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I uh, personally love every individual one of you. Uh, very much. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode. That's when the technically ends.